Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm your host, Carl Schulteis. UMGA-TV is continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community of Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of the township to tell us about that history. This edition features Joe Bartlett. Joe tells us about moving to Upper Marion in the 1950s, along with his family stories and his, his career in Upper Marion Township. Let's sit back and listen to Joe remember when. When I think back to the first times that I spent time up here in Upper Marion, when I was a, when I was a surveying going through college, I told you about the creek there that right. was down with the meadows, you see. Well, there were actually some decent-sized sunnies in there, too. Right. I loved to fish. I would spend my lunch hour fishing, just sit there along the creek, because that was all beautiful fields. There was nothing, there was no development there at all. See, the, the plaza hadn't come along. I would just sit there and eat my lunch, you see, for 45 minutes, you see, and catch some fish, just things I liked to do, you see. Uh, the fish weren't worth anything. It was just kind of something fun to do. Right. But that was a, when you think about this, having a stream going through your town where you could get down there and catch minnows and catch fish and things like that, you see, it was a, uh, and I can't quantify it exactly because I never made the specific measurements, but I would have to say that undoubtedly the water was much, much cleaner, you know, mm -hmm. at the time because um, it wasn't picking up all the, you know, right. the drainage and things like that from upstream development, you know. I, I think that's a, um, but as I say, you can't expect any place not to change to some extent, I see. And I say, I, I think. Upper Moraine has, uh, I go down and look, I drive through Lower Moraine, you know, and I go to teach right. a couple of days a week. And this is where I came up, you know, I look, look at the town, I still know a number of people that are down there, the mayor and stuff right. like that, I know. And I look at that and I prefer Upper Moraine, although it's a lovely area, right? Right. It's a lovely area down there in Norbert and stuff like that. There's more space in Upper Moraine. Right. Down in Arbeth there, the houses are very nice, but they are very close together. They're right. very, very close together, and you don't have a, you know, not significant yards, do you see? It's, it's a different, right. uh, people are just not going to cook out as much, they just do just it differently. It's a, it's a fine town, full of fine people, don't get me wrong. Right. But the thing is that I like a little more space around the yards right. up here, you know, and things like a little, little, uh, I like it up here better than, you know, Right. Well, then both my, my wife and I, we both were born and raised in Norvis, so we certainly know it very well. And we got, uh, it's a nice town. Right. I like the town. But um, Upper Moraine has, I think, a lot more to offer in terms right. of space. And it isn't just a space in, in terms of um, your yard. Right. It's the streets and the woods, you see, and the planting that went into them. And uh, people don't think about some simple things like, the width of residential streets. <laughs> yeah. People take it for granted, you see, that there's a, all these streets are all gonna be the same width. No, they're not, you see. You might have an extra foot or two on these streets here. <clears throat> it can make a lot of difference when you're driving or parking or things like that. I see it. I get down to that area, I see it, and I think it's just a, it's a nicer setup, nicer setup, and when I think that um, all of what we're talking about has happened um, what would he say, back in the last 50 years or less? Mm -hmm. 
because before that this was just a a farm. I mean, it was just a, wasn't much much here at all. See, and it, obviously there's some farmers up here. You see. Well, um, when you said you were 28 when you moved up here, uh, in into the Kingswood, you said, as I recall, uh, it must have been farms then when you came in. Oh yeah, it was. In fact, the Kingswood at that time. Eventually, the Kingswood had about 500, or maybe more, homes, right? right. But we were buying the first. The first they they built Kingswood in developments. There's right. about right. four or five. We were in the first ones, and for the first two or three or four years I was there, they were building all the rest. Right. See, so we. Oh yeah, it was a. It was different uh, coming up to King. It was different. There's no question about that. It was a, a change and and things. Um, you know, it was a, um, fortunately for us, fortunately or unfortunately, Sheila had a, was one of five children and I was one of five, four or five. Um, but our brothers and sisters had left. Right. They were married, they were here, they were there. So when we left Norbeth, it wasn't just we were leaving behind our family, you see what I mean? Because they had already split, you see. Right. I'm very fortunate now. Um, Sheila and I had six children, and they all live either in Upper Marine or extremely close. close. The, the furthest one away lives in uh, Phoenixville. See. Ooh, so they they're all close. very, very close. It's like Sunday, we'll be all at my house for the Easter dinner, and right. it's such a uh, um, uh, nice thing to have the family right. all together. You don't want that to, uh, see. Well, if we had been that close, if my family had still been close, and Sheila's family had still been close in Norworth, we probably would have stayed in Norbeth. You see what I mean? Right. As I say, I came up to Upper right. Moraine because it was convenient to the turnpike, see? Right. But to stay close to the family because we're very family oriented. Right. Uh, but that's uh, the different members of the family had gone right. elsewhere. My sister's living in Pittsburgh, this is living here. Right. So really, there's no, no reason to feel you have to stay there, you see, as it was. Yeah. Right? I think that um, one other item to mention, which I didn't mention, I don't think I mentioned it to you. You're a first in my family up here. Mm -hmm. You're our first doctor. <laughs> okay. Remember the Kingswood? Yeah. Did you have so, an office in the Kingswood? No, I didn't have an office. Did you have so how, yeah. how did I get you then? I'm not sure. We were living in the Kingswood apartments there, right. and I had two children at the time, babies, and we had whatever they had, some malady. We felt we needed a, a pediatrician, you see. Our pediatrician lived here in Balakinwood, right. you see. Dr. Eichmann, right. and he would come up, uh, once he came up here, but he can't be giving house calls from Balakin with the King of Prussia. Right. I, mean, I don't know how we got you. How I did was, we get I, I was probably the first pediatrician in town. Well, maybe that's it, yeah. Yeah. There were, the, uh, Frank Vossenberg was the, was the internist, and, uh, uh, but there were, that, that was about it. Frank and myself. Maybe one of the other. Well, whatever it was, I remember that we had, uh, you had to come up, you made house calls, but we had to make a house call because it was there, that the babies were there, you know right. what I mean? And of course, for us, it was, let's say they, we, we had just, we weren't married that long. Here we had a couple of babies and we have sickness in them, among them and things like that, you see. It was a, um, uh, it was kind of a different, um, a different circumstance, as I say, there were some. Funny things that went on in those days. In the Kingswood, I had a couple of adventures, which uh, we had a problem with a uh, peeping Tom in the Kingswood. 
These apartments where we live, they're ground level. See, they have, they have, I live on the first floor, you live on the second floor. They were all just like that, see. There were a couple of young girls in their 20s who lived just up from us, you see what I mean? And they had a problem, see. These were attractive girls, and unfortunately, they apparently didn't put their shades down as well as they should have. So that drew the attention of some gigolos, I suppose, whatever it was. <laughs> and basically, then they complained to me, and they took me around back. And one time, there'd been snow, and all these footprints in the snow came up to their windows, stopped, and went back again. See what I mean? So they were felt that they were being looked upon, which they were. I'm mm -hmm. sure of that. See. So okay, well, and lo and behold, one night. A while later, when the snow was gone, I tell my back window and I saw a guy looking in their window. And, uh, you know, looking in their window, see. I called the police, they nailed him. Oh, did they? Yeah, they did. They nailed him. He, he, he didn't realize that he was being, uh, you know, he, he was being watched, he had been seen, just even, oh yeah. Yeah, they nailed him, see. I mean, it was a, um, you know, it was another time, of course, it's been a long time ago, so it doesn't still exist, but. I did something which is very practical, but um, in that time in the Kingswood Department, there were laundry rooms, not in every building. Right. Like up there on the, um, I live at the top of, I forget the name of that, there's a circle up here, right. wherever it is. Right. And the laundry room was, in, not the next one, the one next to it, okay. Right. I would go over there and I would do the laundry, you see, get down the steps into this subterranean area, do the steps. See. I became concerned because I saw a big rat down there one day. I'm not talking about a mouse. A I'm talking about a rat, you uh. see. And he was down in the laundry room among the, you know, walking along the wall, see. I'm walking there with two baskets full of clothes and a bottle of Clorox all of detergent, see what I mean? I looked at Brother Rat, and I took the Clorox, I let it fly. I didn't realize what a good shot I was. I hit the rat. Bang! Mm -hmm. See? Just knocked him out completely. Okay. I went over there, and I finished him off with a couple more good shots. See? I'm talking about a good-sized rat, you see? Mm -hmm. Well, it bothered me very much that there was a rat there, see? So I said to myself, we'll follow plan A. I'm going to leave it here. And I left it there, right? And then I called him and complained. You know, I said, I said, there's a, a dead rat over there. What? What? Well, let's see. They got all excited, go over there, blah, 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 blah. And they, they brought in an exterminator and stuff like that, you see what I mean? So that, blah, 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 blah. So we didn't have any problem with it again. But so I said, plan B was this. Let's leave the dead rat there. They <laughs> came along and saw the, the dead rat in a public place, you see, where I was coming down sure. there. They didn't go very well. So they uh, triggered some sort of, uh, you know, uh, activity. Right. Whether I should have done that or not, uh, I don't really know. But, uh, I did. It was a you situation. Got, you got the result you wanted, right? <laughs> well, the point, is, you know, the point is that it was a situation in which I, I'm sure the owners of the kings didn't like the rat there. So sure. They were, they were, you know, they, I did them a favor, see, but I, I didn't charge them. I did them a favor. The group of people that I lived with, uh, that is not that I lived with, were our neighbors up here, were kind of interesting. Uh, 
There might have been at least three of them worked for GE. Mm -hmm. The GE Space and Missile Center at the time was just that. It was a Space and Missile Center and it was going 80 miles an hour at that time with different things were being developed, you see. And uh, they also had a, GE had a big place down in Philadelphia on Market Street, just about a block or two up from uh, 33 Station, I think 31st and Market or something like that. Mm -hmm. They had a big place down there, you see. In fact, I think my wife worked there for a short period of time. Uh, but, uh, you know, the GE people, you know, and it was kind of interesting. We might have a little party, a little cocktail party of people sitting around having a cookout because kind of close, you see, and sit back and start talking about GE stuff. As soon as you did that, they wouldn't talk. And the people who worked there would not talk. They were under secrecy. I mean, they were talking about, what do you mean secrecy? Space and missile system? You're going to send somebody to the moon? No, there was more to it than that. There were weapons and things right. and stuff like that. They were not allowed to talk about it. And so they stopped talking, period, you see. And they just uh, changed the subject. It became apparent to me. They obviously they don't want to talk about it. Or they can't talk about it, so we won't, you see. But that was a different, um, I don't know what the main drive over there at GE was at the time, but right. apparently there was some things going on, whether it was secret missiles or secret, uh, you know, they just were not allowed to talk about it. But I know there was a, the employment level is, well, of course, it would be, it would be logical. People come from all over the world, not world, the country, or different states to come and work at GE. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to find a place to live, so you go to an apartment. Right. Okay. And so many of the residents who came there, at GE people might stay there for a year, you know, and then find a house they like and right. just leave out and buy, which is obviously a normal progression of things. Right. But that's, um, yeah, the time was just gone. It was a, um, I say it was a, a different time, and as I say, when I think back to the, uh, I can't imagine what it was like. I was telling you about those times when we used to bike up from Narberth, stop at the Hanging Rock, stop at Schultz's and things like that, you see. Well, when we finally got into King of Prussia, what did we see? I always saw an old two-lane road, you see here, with, uh, you know, two trash cans. Like There was nothing in King of Prussia no. at the time, see, it was just a, it was basically a crossroads, you see. Right. At that time, it was, and it was a crossroads. Route 202 went this way, Route 23 went right. this way. That was it, you see. It was a crossroads. The turnpike had not been completed yet, as I said, and it was just a, um, uh, it was a country town, see. You didn't stop with the King of Prussia Inn at that time, did you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I wasn't into the King of Prussia Inn situation. In fact, I don't think I was. I was ever in there. The only time, the closest thing I ever got to Prussia was when they moved it. Oh, okay. I mean, that was a big day when they moved it. Right. See what I mean? When they, uh, all the preparations, that was a, really a, a nice thing that they did. And it was a, you know, not an easy thing to do. Oh, no. That company that did that had a special, uh, you know. Yeah, that was a, um, one other time I was in King of Prussia, more than that, is the Valley Forge. Uh, I was a Boy Scout, and then I became a Boy Scout master, yeah. active in the Boy Scouts down right. in Narberth. Yeah. The Boy Scouts used to have a national jamboree. Every three or four years, they would have a national jamboree. Right. And what they used to do is, this year, they would have it in the eastern part of the country. Right. And then three or four years later, it would be out in the western part of the country. Just kind of balancing everybody a chance. 
Valley Forge Park was a preferred location in the eastern part of the country because it was undoubtedly cheap. I'm sure you get in there with nothing. Cause it, was a, it was a state park at the time, not right. a federal park. That's right. State park at the time. And it was closed. People would come here. Um, you'd be surprised at how many kids came to the Jamboree on the trains. Right. And anyhow, they would have a... Well, we would go out there and they would have this... Uh, Jamboree would last about a week, you know, it was a really a big, I mean, they were talking maybe 50,000 Boy Scouts and their leaders, right. really big event thing. Well, one of the things which they, these guys are cooking their own meals, stuff like that, they've got to have water, see. So they used to stack water buffaloes all over the place. You know what a water buffalo is? No. It's a great big canvas sack like this with half a dozen small taps on it, uh -huh. see. And they would keep them filled with water, and of course, since it was canvas, right. some water would seep through, right. evaporate. Evaporative cooling kept right. the water at a decent temperature. This was the source of water for the people to go together if they wanted to clean themselves, if they wanted to cook, blah, 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 right. blah. See? So all these, all these people had to do was keep the water buffaloes filled. Right. Well, they did this, and then three years later, they Jamboree is someplace else, and back here again, did it again. They finally decided that they were going to, this is back maybe in the late 50s, they put piping in, in Valley Forge Park, right. to supply water all over the park right. for the Jamborees. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that piping has ever been, has ever been used. <laughs> they have not held any Jamborees there <laughs> since they put in the piping. <laughs> okay. So the piping is still in there. What, what good is it? I don't, I don't know if it's used for anything at all, but they actually put this piping into the ground, you see what I mean, to, uh, so we'd have a good water supply for, so we wouldn't fool around with these uh, water, water buffaloes. And again, when I say something like this, this is what I understand happened. Now, the cause and effect, I don't know. Was it, for example, a matter of convenience and a better situation for all those involved? That something was going to be the case. Or uh, did somebody suggest that there was a potential health problem? All the water buffaloes, in other words, contamination right, or right. something like that. I don't really know. I just know they put all the stuff on the ground. I don't know who paid for it, but they all put it all on the ground. Right. And no more jamborees were held right. in Valley Forge uh, uh, since that time, as I recall. It's been quite a, quite a number of years ago. See? Yeah. But that was the, uh, when the jamborees came, it was always a big thing because so many of the scouts came there by train. They would take the trains to Philadelphia and of course, they get the train. There's a, there's a train station in Valley Forge. Right. Uh, right there, there's uh, actually two. There's, there's, uh, right now, there's one pretty well developed up there. It's, uh, that was a. Um, and they, they would just almost they have to put special cars on to bring them out because they would fill the place down there at 33 sure. stations. Uh -huh. And then they would bring them out there. And, they, you know, it's a. Uh, because they say the scouts were coming. It wasn't just, you know, 50,000 people, 50,000 people with all kinds of luggage and sacks and things like that, you see. Uh, but yeah, that was a, uh, it was always a very big thing. And then of course, the activity picked up, King of Prussia felt some overflow from it, simply because people had to go someplace, you know. It wasn't, much, it wasn't the most place to go to back in the 50s. Right. They wanted to go somewhere. But one thing they wanted to do, of course, was that since we are here in Valley Forge, and the Liberty Bell is down there, we should go see Liberty Bell while we're here, which is a common sense thing. See? Right. 
So how are we going to get there? Well, we're going to take the train, see? So the trains are going back and forth. It's filled with scouts in both directions all day, you know, all week long. I say kids went into Philadelphia to see the uh, historic places in Philadelphia. See? That was, um, uh, well, I say that was back, in the, that was before I moved up here, of course. I wasn't, but as I said, I was a scoutmaster, so I was attending parts of it anyhow. I didn't, I didn't stay, I didn't stay overnight. I was, much easier just to drive home and right. come back up in the next day. Uh, I was a scout master and I had scouts who were staying there and stuff like that, so I had some connection to the jamboree and what was going on and things like that. See, it was a, um, uh, but as I say, there was such a, a mob scene. You can understand, Evan King of Prussia, at that time, this was in the 50s, small town, and all of a sudden you have 50,000 visitors, right. uh, you know, two or three miles away. You know there's gonna be some Right. People drifting in and out just to look and see what they can get and buy a soda, whatever. It's just a different, right. uh, you know. It was a. Um, uh, we did have one thing that was kind of interesting. This is here's a number for you to try to figure out if you'd like to see. They had to cook their own meals. Mm -hmm. What'd they cook on? Wood. <laughs> charcoal. Charcoal. They cooked on charcoal. Right. If they let them cook on wood, they would have cut on every tree in the place, <laughs> including the ones that weren't dead. No, they supplied them yeah, with charcoal. charcoal. Right. When you stop to think, how much charcoal would you need to have cooking facilities for 50,000 people? Right. You see. And where are they, is it going to end up? In other words, when you cook with charcoal, when you're finished cooking, there's still a lot of glowing embers there, see, which you may let you burn buried, out. You buried it. Well, that's... <laughs> I have no idea where it went, you see, but uh, something along the line. Maybe people just put it down and then start it up again when it's, I don't know, but that was a, uh, and I don't know what the source was. I don't know whether they had one big pile there or whether they had, I don't really know, but there was a, uh, um, and see, another thing too is the reason that people were so busy around here, so much activity, is the kids really look forward to coming to Jamboree. Right. Right. And when you see you're going to go to the Jerry's of Jamie, Valley Forge Park, right? Which they know is right near Philadelphia and Liberty Bell, you see what I mean? And then, of course, our town is right here. People come to, they're tourists. Right. They did not just sit there for a week in one spot, you see, at Valley Forge Park and go to the various activities that the scouts had in the Jamboree and swap patches and things like that. They did a number of things that, uh, you know, uh, let's get that. I'm sure that it was good for business in right. sure. our town, you see. But having said that, there's a question that should come to your mind. Is there what business? <laughs> Seriously. There might have been a, a, a convenience store, you see, somewhere in, uh, in King of Prussia, do you see? I'm sure there was, you see, or maybe more than one. There were probably there were, there were three or four gas stations, at least, that uh, undoubtedly sold right. whatever they could sell there besides gasoline, see. Peacock Garden? Yes, I remember Peacock, Peacock Gardens. That was... That was Sure, that was there. That was a. Um, uh, did that become a piece of place afterwards? Too? That was oh, later. Oh, it had a series of, uh, of, uh, of forms afterwards. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Peacock Gardens. That's right. Well, that would have been a. That was more. Was that more of an evening spot? Yeah. For uh, yeah, that's it, not going to draw the big for, crowds of scouts in there. Yeah, see what I mean? For, for adults, was more adult yeah. setting. Right? I think that's a. Um, you know, when you think about the development of King of Prussia, 
you often wonder about the intersection of Route 202 and I guess it's Route 23. Maybe it's not. No, it's not. 23 is down in Bridgeport now. Yeah, with, with South Gulf Road. Yeah, okay. In North, well, it was yeah. that intersection where South and North Gulf Road. That's are. right. That's where they came. That was, that's that right. was 23 because it went from Philadelphia to Reading. What's that? They went from Philadelphia to Reading. What's that? That, that road. What's route, the old Route 23. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember when they were going to improve Route 202 and make it, you know, four-lane highway in both directions? And of course they did, they widened it, they had this island down the middle and lots of parts of it and grassy. And then they came to the King of Prussia Inn, right? And we had to go around it. Right. And I think I just think to yourself, what would that be like if the King of Prussia Inn hadn't been there? It would simply be a plain old four lane intersection, you right. say, four lane boats. Plain and simple. And uh, the King of Prussia Inn made it uh what are they they wouldn't go around. They couldn't why were they should, I don't, well, they wouldn't or they couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't go around it. They, they didn't go around it. They split it and then this, right. there it went and they rejoined it again, you see what I mean? I don't know who drew up the design, you know. I don't know if it was the, the best possible design or whatever, but between there, they had a real, I remember there's an awful lot of talk about it because at the time, besides having them want to improve the road, and, of course, you had the shopping center jumping up at you as fast as it could be. And that, of course, was creating all kinds of traffic. Right. And now you have this intersection which you want to rework, you see. You had to, inter you, you had to design it in such a way that it would take care of the needs of the shopping center, not just the you know, right. place for the cars to come and go as much as they wanted to. See? Yeah, I remember they, caught, they talked about that quite a bit about, um, you know, um, what's the best way to do it? How can we divide it? Well, there was a lot of talk about the King of Prussia in, you know. And of course, that led to a lot of arguments. The preservationists said, can't touch it. See? The traffic people said, it's in the way. See? And, uh, well, you know, it was built yeah. around and eventually it was allowed to stay there. And, yeah. uh, you know, you know right. it was such a, um, uh, when you look back, and again, it's easy to look back and say, well, if we'd have done this, you see, if we'd have done that, you see, and if our timing had been different. Supposing, for example, we had decided to move the King of Prussia in, as we eventually did. Right. Supposing we had decided that we will move that now, and at the same time we will widen and improve 202. That would just be a big, effective intersection for the shopping center. It wouldn't be anything there, well, it's what it is now, see, but it would be different. Built differently. You wouldn't have that sure. plot of land in the middle there where the creek is. You want to see the creek I was talking about where I caught the minnows? Yeah. Just got to walk up there and look down. There it is. See, I mean, it was a, um, I think that, uh, again, everybody has 20-20 hindsight. You can always look around and say, which is the best, uh, I mean, which is the best way to do something? Which is the best way to go? I don't think there is any best way in some areas, you see. We have some roads and pathways around town that are kind of interesting. Let's put it that way, you see. And I think the, um, the development of roads and around the town with all these housing developments going up back in that time period of the 50s and 60s. Well, building a house, you got to put in streets, you see. Well, how wide do the streets have to be? How much parking is all out here? How much, you know, 
so many things that were a ton of questions being asked that had never been asked before. Who's going to come up with the answers? See. Well, people make their best judgment as best they can. See, I mean, hopefully this is what will, right. if that is the criterion that goes along with it, I don't really know, see. But when you look about the uh, things that have changed, things that haven't have stayed the same, it'd be nice to say, oh, well, the good things stayed the same and the other things went, well, I suppose to some extent that's true. I suspect that to some extent that's not true. You know, maybe some things yeah. are there that are probably just soon weren't there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's a, um, uh, we take certain things for, uh, for granted and um, the number of gas stations has certainly changed on yeah. 202. Yeah. There used to be more, a lot more gas stations on 202 than there were. Why is that? I strongly suspect it's a four-letter word. Hess. Hess gas station right there is yeah. does an awful lot of just gasoline business, and they have a, a little bit of a lower price structure. Right. So, right. you know, just to routinely, you know, use that, and um, you know, it's. Uh, um, but it's changed. I remember some of the names. Do you ever remember a gas company called Tidal? Yeah. T-Y-D-O-L? Yeah. Well, there was a place of that on 202. Right. I forget where they eventually came from, you see, where they eventually went, you see. Mm -hmm. I used to watch them. I watched them with a, a different perspective, and that is because when I graduated from college, my first job was that as a research chemist for the Gulf Oil Corporation mm -hmm. down there in the refinery in southwest Philadelphia. Well, needless to say, we are continuously dealing with our own problems and concerns, and we are also watching what SO does and what Sun does and stuff like that. The oil companies keep an eye on each other, you see, for a variety of reasons. So I used to like to watch, you know, what was going on, what was happening, what wasn't happening at different, different locations, because, um, you know, at the time I'm talking about, the lead in gasoline was accepted as a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. There were no restrictions on it, you see. And I know how much lead they put in them, you see. And it, it did help the anti-knocking business. Right. It was anti-knocking. And um, there was no, uh, the only, there was one company that sold unleaded gasoline when I was growing up. Amico? Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. How did you know that? <laughs> I just, just, just can recall. Oh, are you doctors that way? You remember everything, don't you? <laughs> I don't know what that information's worthwhile, but <laughs> that's right. You know why it was important in those days? It was the only gasoline you could use in a Coleman lantern. Oh. Remember Coleman lanterns sure. were gas oh, fired, yeah, sure. pressurized? Right. Okay. Yeah. You did not use leaded gasoline in there because it would foul up the, a little bit, but also it gives fumes uh -huh. off and side, they didn't want that. Right. So you never use lead gasoline in Coleman lanterns. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was such a nuisance at the time because see, I did a lot of camping because I was a Boy Scout, right. you see, and I was a Scoutmaster. You always had your Coleman lantern, we always needed fuel, see what I mean? And it wasn't the most convenient thing, you see? Sears used to sell fluid for Coleman lanterns. Right. 
They were basically selling gasoline, I guess. Right. Sears would sell the fluid, you see. It was a convenient thing because you said Amoco. Well, Amoco is not the number one gas company, gasoline company in the country. They were a fair size, but they weren't. They were well down below. Therefore, if you are going camping and you have a Coleman, an empty Coleman lantern in this hand, an empty can in this hand, you're looking for an Amoco station on your way to where you're going. Well, they were not like SOs all over the place in gulfs. They were just there for as a result. Finding the unleaded gasoline, you see, was not easy. So as a result, you could buy this fluid at Sears. See, needless to say, it was much more expensive, expensive. than a gallon of gasoline. See. Right. Needless to say, because they undoubtedly, they probably had a chain, probably took some of the really light ends out, you know, because they don't want, want canning gasoline in storage either. Yeah. But that was a, uh, you know, such things you don't even think about, you don't take for granted, just, you know. Right. Good Lord, see, how did we, uh, how did we ever survive, see? Yeah. But there was, um, there was that awareness, at least about lead in those days. One of the few things, when I think about all of the materials and metals and chemicals that they tell you to avoid coming in contact with today, and how many there were in those days, you wonder how any of us survived anything. But obviously lead was one of them because they did not want you burning this stuff, this uh, common lanterns right. inside. Lots of times we would take them inside a big tent in the wintertime because it would help to heat up the tent, you see. Nevertheless, that means going to fill the tent with lead fumes. Right. They said, no, 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 no. And also, I don't think the leaded gasoline worked quite as well either. I think it kind of fouled up the jets a little bit, see. So there was some awareness of some hazards, some right. chemicals, some, you know, not necessarily right. that many of them, but um, but that was the big thing, just trying to find an Amico station so you get all the white gas, is what right. they call it. That's right. And you know why it was called white gas? It was clear. Right. See, I, you just used a term which I jump all over my kids about. See, you can have a clear red liquid, can't you? Yeah, well, it was... A clear, uh, you got a clear blue liquid, right? It was right. colorless. Colorless. That's, colorless, that's, yes. that's a better term. Right. Why was it colorless? <laughs> well, they didn't have any additives they put on it. Exactly right. All the other gasolines put dye in them. Sunoco was blue Sunoco, do you see what I mean? Uh -huh. All the others put dye into their gasoline, do you see? To help to identify, but also so you know it's gasoline. Uh -huh. Amico for their unlead gasoline chose not to put any in, uh -huh. see? Again, the, 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 the lead did not require that it be uh, um, colored. Uh -huh. The lead was in the form of something called tetraethyl lead, see? Right. and that's just, a, that's just a gasoline soluble form of lead. It had no color, it had no color, right. and uh, they used to shoot in about. Well, no, much either. I think it was about um, three milliliters or four milliliters per gallon. Right. And now a gallon is thirty-seven hundred milliliters, and this is so three. It's not a very high concentration, right. see. Uh, but they colored their gasoline, you see what I mean? And uh, I can understand why, you see. It was a, uh, but that's, they all colored the gasoline except Amico, their white gas was just that. It was colorless, you colorless. see? And therefore, uh, we could tell that was, uh, but that was the stuff that you had to have for, uh, 
with a column and lantern. Right. And you had to have a column and lantern, you see. Right. It was a, um, how to say, if you were a camper or something right, like sure. that, say. And um, one <laughs> thing they didn't have when I was growing up was the, uh, today you can use uh, propane, right. butane. It's pressurized, you right. see. They didn't have those no. when I was growing up. Coleman was the, uh, you know. I think I still have my Coleman Lantern. By the gasoline? <laughs> I haven't used it in 30 years or more. <laughs> I will bet you if you go look for it, you'll find out the, remember the asbestos um, netting? Yeah. That the gasoline burns on? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that has fallen off. Uh -huh. Well, that stuff, first of all, the asbestos after a while gets kind of cakey and loose. You've got to change those mantles right, right. Um, periodically because they just plain, you know, get uh, two weeks. I mean, they have a, if you're Coleman gasoline stove, huh? A gasoline lantern thing. <laughs> when I was growing up, it was a place we used to go on vacation, the Pocono Mountains. It was a place that rented um, cottages, you see. Yeah. It used to be a boys camp. It was on a lake. And, um, well, the cabins that the cottages you had there were one room, see. I would say, Maybe about as big as this room here. Mm -hmm. And then there was a sink over here, just see. Yeah. There was an outhouse was where you'd expect an outhouse to be. Um, the um, um, source of cooking was a Coleman gasoline stove yeah. inside this cabin where everybody's living. A Coleman gasoline stove, stove, you know. And they just had a, you know, they were flat. They had their tank of gasoline in front of you, know, and you pump it, up. pump it all up here. Do you see what I'm saying? And you get gasoline spring. Okay, let's cook dinner. Okay. It was to my amazing, when you think about that, that is so, so, so unsafe to begin with. First of right. all, having it inside, there was no exhaust fan, no exhaust pipe or anything right. like that. See, it was no, uh, it was just, the fumes from the right. gasoline burning stayed there, just see right. what I mean? And it was a, uh, uh, it was just plain a gas, right. a gas stove. That's all you could take about. I think the, um, um, it was just a, uh, again, it was a situation that I'm talking about something happening back in the 40s, you say. Mm -hmm. We think back about it, we shake our heads and say, how could you possibly do that? We have learned a lot since then. Well, were we dumb, dumb, or dumbest, or we were just uneducated, or we didn't know? Do you see what I mean? Well, people just didn't know. They didn't know. And if people, maybe some people knew they weren't telling anybody about it. I don't really know. I, I just think that, uh, you know, when we think back to all of the things that we have here in King of how many things, whether it's a bridge, or whether it's a shopping center, or whether it's Development, would you suggest you would have done it differently if you had been in charge? Mm -hmm. In other words, would it be done differently than it is than it was then? In other words, how is it going to uh, you know what's going to make it better? Do you see what's not going to make it better? What's uh, what's our worst consideration? Is traffic one of our worst situations? You see, who knows? Traffic is certainly clearly a, a problem here. Mm -hmm. I think that's a um, uh, I think traffic is a problem, and traffic creates a um, uh, clearly 
safety situation as far as the kids go. Fortunately, people are fairly good in our town. They don't hit people with cars very often, see what I mean? But, you know, that's, we're getting, as people drive through the town, you know, there are some people that fly through our town, you see. That's a shame yeah. that they, you know, you wonder how they, how we don't have more accents than we do, say. I don't know what, um, what, um, sometimes I like to get down and park by the Norfolk Southern train station there at the end of Henderson Road, there's a pumping station. Right. I pull in there and I park. Um, I like to watch the trains, but also uh, I was keeping an eye on uh, traffic coming out from behind the, between the railroad tracks and the river. There's large deposits of coal silt and stuff yeah. that are being right. taken out, you see. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. <coughs> and some of it is being taken out sloppily. That is, they come across the grade crossing and mm. set up the road there. Uh, in some cases, it's kind of like more like a slush than it is a solid thing situation, spillage. And, uh, and sometimes, so I'll pull in there sometimes and sit down and just watch and wait and see the trucks come out, you see. And I, I've made a couple observations and I've told the, the chief about right. them, you see what I mean, so they can get them because I think something's coming out with a lot of slushy black right. uh, residual coal dust or things like that, you see, from the, uh, see, it was slopped from the river. Right. When they dredged the river years ago, they right. pumped it into the flat and the low right. lines. And so I was, uh, we don't want to get that stuff all over the place, you see. So anyhow, but while I sit there waiting for those things, you know, choom, 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 the cars that come down around there and yeah. zip by me and up to the curve again there, it, it, particularly in, at rush hour, see, just amazing what right. they expect is going to be there, see, and it's just one little... I'm talking about not just, I'm talking about cars going fast, maybe 40 miles an hour. Right. Well, when you've got two curves, you know, within 200 yards right. of each other, you can't be going 40 miles an no. hour, maybe maybe more than that, see. And a few screeching tires right. now and then, see. It shouldn't, uh, uh, it shouldn't happen there. I think that's, um, um, but I haven't seen too much of that stuff come. Maybe they've finished for the time being, you see. Where were they, were they uh, using that? Uh... Yes. They're using it to make charcoal briquettes, I was told. Oh. Company bought it, and I'm trying to think where they took it. They took it over, took it through Valley Forge Park, and then they, they went somewhere not that far from there. I can't yeah. tell you where. I can't remember. See. Um, they were going to make some sort of charcoal briquettes out of it, supposedly, see yeah. what I mean? Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, except it's a, um, if it'll burn properly, mm -hmm. you see. I mean, this was, don't forget, originally, <coughs> excuse me, this was anthracite. Right which then sat in the river for all these many, many years, you see. And uh, maybe that modified it somewhat, you see. Whereas uh, charcoal briquettes, uh, you know, they can be made out of, well, you can make charcoal out of anything you want to. So you can make a piece of wood if you want to. But yeah, they're being, being used, there's no question about that. See, that's, that's why the company is, uh, is taking it out, you see. And I think we are getting paid, I can't tell you how much. We are getting paid, the township is getting paid some money for it, for each, uh, truck load or each ton that goes out. Not much you're talking about. Right. It's in cents, but it's still, it's free money. See? Yeah. Might as well take it, see. And, um, now, what will be back there afterwards, I'm not sure, because, you see, there's a couple of pools back there between the tracks and the river. Right. Surface water pools and things like that. And um, somebody even told me they were fishing one of them. I don't know if there are or not. Well, if you are digging out all this stuff, you're probably creating either a 
a bigger pool or you're going to make for a new pool, you know, right. a depression of some sort, because they're taking it out, you see. And so, um, you know, out it's coming. And so I, they say it was coming out at a fair rate for a while. I don't know if they're still pulling it out now or what. Yeah. But I sit down there sometimes just for the purpose of watching, see if they're coming out. Because they're coming out, they're coming out, coming across the grade crossing and see where they, where they go, where they take it, and see if they're slopping up the place. They were slopping up the place for a couple trips there. See, I mean, well, a couple trips we've got to worry about. If it becomes a regular thing, that's not a good, uh, you know, that's not a good thing. I suspect that the, um, the riverbank may be almost solid coal for some areas because when they dredged the river, when they took the coal out back in the, uh, around 1950, Mm -hmm. They pumped it into wetlands on both sides of the river, although mm -hmm. up here most of the wetlands were on our side of the river. Right, right. So we got most of the, the silt. coal, silt. Cold silt, yeah. Now, of course, again, that's another thing today which they would never allow you to do. Right. You do not destroy wetlands today. Wetlands are realized that they are a very important part of our environmental system. You do not destroy wetlands, yeah. you, see, you just don't do that. Well, maybe they'll reconstitute the wetlands if you get enough of that silt out of there. Yeah, that's the whole point. The thing is this, though. A wetland is something that has developed a good one over the years. Right. It has had all sorts of plants and fish and frogs that are growing in it. It has developed a certain organic base to itself right. and a certain, it's almost like a, a system unto itself, you right. see. Okay. So you come in there and you fill it up with coal silt, right? Or you've killed it, see. Now, when you take the coal silt out, right, now you have a hole in the ground, right? How do you turn that back into a wetland? You know, you tell the, hey, tell the fish to come back and tell the birds to come back and things like that. that the wetlands develop slowly over long sure. periods of time. Mm -hmm. And they would never be allowed uh, today to be able to do the to wetlands because they have very strict controls on what you can and cannot do with wetlands, you see. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, some development situations, I can't remember exactly which one it was, they were going to create a wetland. That was considered very positive. Right. Create a wetland, say. Just how much of the stuff would continue to be there, I don't really know because, uh, as I say, the coal, I mean, most of the coal on our region was pumped up on our side of the river, you right. say. Um, and uh, because, you see, if you look at the geography, look across the river, across the river, the slope goes up almost right away. There's no wetlands over there to, to dump the stuff into, you see. And uh, and these go all the way up. Um, of course, the coal was taken out uh, all the way down to Philadelphia when they dredged the thing, yeah. um, you know. Um, but they got that so much coal out, you see. Um, now, just what is contributing back in there, as I say, there are pools back in there. I have not been back myself. I've been told there's pools back in there <coughs> where uh, people go back there, so somebody can get back there and. Uh, you can catch a fish in some of them, say. Mm. And what kind of fish would be back there? Somebody might throw some goldfish in there or something mm. like that. Who knows? They, but that's a, um, what did I say, with the slop coming out, something got dripping all mm. over the place, we don't want that either. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not that it's harmful material, it's just a mess, you see. Right. You don't want that to be... Um, so, anyway, I pulled down the air and I watched them see if it's happening, just make observations mm. and see if it is, and it's a... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. I followed one of the trucks one day to see how far it was going to go. 
see if it was local. Uh -huh. And they went through Valley Forge Park and kept on going. Well, at that point, I said, no, I'm yeah. not going to follow. I don't really care now. He's out of our area. Right. See, I mean, not going to get it here. <coughs> out of our area, see. But while having said that, you see, as I say, there was this, when you sit there in, in that pumping station, you look out, oh, jeez, cars moving awfully fast, particularly in the evening. Right. People on the way home, I mean, right. rush hour. Rush hours, rush hour, yeah. It's a stuff, a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a situation that it leaves a lot to be desired down there. So it's, um, but that's current. When you think back to what, uh, again, I do like to try to picture what this was like, you know, when we first mm -hmm. came up here, when we first were up here, you see. I mean, there were, of course, a variety of different stores, you see. When the Valley Ford Shopping Center, there was some different stores there, some big stores that just aren't there anymore, you mm -hmm. see. The uh, A&P used to be there, I remember that, you see, and then it was down at the lower level next to Buckley's, there was, there was a store there that Grant. sold. Hmm? Grant, Grant. Yeah, but there was, in addition to that, that's, yeah. there was another that was basically a food store. I'm trying to think what it was. It was, uh, I can't recall. It was, uh, I'll think about it eventually, you see. Well, yeah, but Grant's was there. There's no, no question about that. I think that's a, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was different. See, I mean, of course, the, um, the longest while the Acme was in the plaza, right. see? and that was interesting. They bailed, you see. There's no food store in the plaza. Right. It's kind of funny. You think, well, you're the only food store in the plaza. Why didn't you stay? Well, it's only one reason you leave, and that's because it's good for business interests to leave. And then they got their new store down the road. See. I suppose people would not want to go to the plaza to food shop. I wouldn't. Well, you know, this thing about having the logistics, having to get in there, find a parking place, you know, go in there, come out with all this food and stuff like that. See, probably what eventually did them, uh, you know, um, maybe that's what eventually drove them. I don't know, but Acme was right there. a major place for, um, they also had some other one. <laughs> I remember this. I remember it was a place called a Sticky Bun Shop. Right. Remember that place? Yeah. That was up there along. That was, but that was before. That was in the age when, as you recall, when the plaza was first built, most of the stores had out external exposure. Right. right. They were not enclosed in right. a thing. And, you know, the Sticky Bun Shop was such a very nice, uh, just that. It was a Sticky Bun Shop to get your yeah. nice little breakfast pastries and things like that. Right. See, I think that's a. Um, uh, let us say, I don't think the world's going to change because that's not there, but nevertheless, it's a, uh, it was a nice, a nice thing to have, give you something to talk about, see what I mean? It was a, uh, but with that, um, you know, we think of that and we think of the, um, I sometimes think about what the place would be like if some of the things we had weren't here. Right. Well, Joe, it's really been great for you to come and spend some time with us. I really appreciate this. Well, I am glad that I hope we didn't bore you to death. You no, no, you can be I well enjoy, entertained. <laughs> I enjoy talking about it because it, for me, it takes me back to times in my life that were for, for the most part quite present, enjoyable, right. and very, you know, very interesting. Right. And I think a lot about them, and I think what would it be like if this happened today, do you right. see? As well, that's something we will never know. See? I mean, that's it for this edition of Remember When. If you'd like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching, 
Until next time and always, remember when.
you'd like to be a guest, contact us at Upper Marion Township, 175 West Valley Forge Road, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, 19406. Or email us at info at umtownship.org.